Hey guys, welcome to Hit the Apex. This is Gerard as always, and thank you for tuning in. It's a Wednesday evening. It's May the 22nd, Wednesday today, because practice for the Monaco Grand Prix is um, always on the Thursday, so I thought I'd get this one out of the way for you a day earlier than normal, and there's actually a lot to go through today, a lot to talk about, of course. Um, going to be a bit of a, a somber one actually today because we'll, you know, just get it straight off the top and that's, you know, the n- sad news that we heard yesterday, um, about the passing of Nikki Lauda and I'm sure that the entire, well, the entire motorsport world is in mourning at the moment and there will be a few somber faces this weekend at the Monaco Grand Prix as well and um, you know peacefully passing away at the age of 70 um, Monday night in in Europe and with his family and loved ones by his side which was good to hear and um, Nicky I guess you know we haven't seen him at the track all year he had that double lung transplant done at the end of towards the end of last year, and then I guess the subsequent illnesses that he had afterwards. He had the flu, I think, uh, early on this year, and sort of kept him in hospital. And yeah, his health didn't really make it back from there. And the last time we all saw him in some capacity was that video that Mercedes posted after they wrapped up their fifth world championship at the end of last year, and he was just saying you know, just as a as a thank you for all the support sort of thing. So that was the last time that I guess the public would have seen Nicky and, you know, had the, the words from him. But, you know, just seeing all the tributes and everything, reading through anecdotes and then reading back over his his career history and everything, it's just it just shows you how remarkable a driver he was, just a remarkable human being, you know, I mean, you talk about the best comeback in sports history, and, you know, people were going on about Tiger Woods this year, um, having won the Masters his first in a long time, or whatever, but Nicky Lauda, a guy who was pretty much pronounced, or all but pronounced dead, he had the last rites read to him in hospital after that crash at the German Grand Prix, the the old Nürburgring Nordschleife circuit, and he had the last rites read to him, he was pretty much declared, yep, that's it, we're going to give up, but then to six weeks later after that accident where he had, you know, severe burns to his face, his, his lungs, you know, all the toxic fumes that he would have inhaled from not only the fire extinguisher but the smoke think about all the chemicals that are on the bodywork of a car as well um to have you know all that happen and then to six weeks after the german grand prix rock up at monza italian grand prix with blood still seeping through the bandages as many have said and described on his face he puts on the helmet goes out to race because he's got a championship to fight for and his rival James Hunt that year was catching up to him. And he goes and finishes fourth. He beats his teammate as well, Carlos Reutemann. So, <laughs> you know, that would have been a pretty embarrassing for Reutemann. But um, for Lauda to do that, to go finish fourth, 
Even though Hunt won the race, it kept the title battle alive. Three races to go after that. And then we get to Fuji um, in Japan. Torrential conditions where Lauda just assesses it and decides to withdraw. And in the end, James Hunt wins by a point. You know, so Hunt's one and only championship. But the point being from this year, from that year, is the fact that from being on death's bed, Lauda just, yeah, didn't give up. Being on death's bed and then back in a Formula One car, racing for a world championship at the highest level. And back then as well, you know, we've probably banged on about it or many will be aware that that era for Formula One was not exactly safe, you know, cars weren't safe, drivers were not safe in the cars, even the spectators were not safe, you know, sitting at the side of the track, wherever they were in the world, so, you know, it takes a whole, it takes an immense amount of bravery to be able to do that, and I think it's going to be a story that's going to be timeless, no matter what happens elsewhere in the world now, in the world of sport, or you know, whatever, it's a timeless story, and I guess it was immortalised as well by um, the film Rush uh, that came out in 2013, depicting the rivalry between James Hunt and Nicky Lauder, great film if you guys haven't already seen it, um, Chris Hemsworth and Danny Brule, Danny Brule's portrayal, really, really good for of Nicky Lauder, and I guess the advantage of actually being able to talk to Nicky and sit down with him to sort of get an essence and overview of his character but yeah you know 76 that incredible comeback story is sort of just epitomizes who Lauda was as a character but then achieving so much more after that before that even 1975 he was champion for Ferrari first champion for Ferrari in about I think 10 or 11 years because it was John Surtees who won for them and you know Enzo Ferrari really held, would have held him in such high regard to win two titles. Then he won it again in 77 after um, the year that Hunt took it. And then going away from the sport, I mean, he was with Brabham, with Bernie Eccleston for a, a year or two, I think, then decides to retire, then sort of tempted back by a very lucrative contract from Ron Dennis and McLaren. Um, $3 million, I think, through something like that, and remember, in the mid-80s, or sorry, early 80s, $3 million would have been a huge amount of money, you know, when you consider what modern F1 driver contracts are like, where it's sort of $10 million is is the, what a high-paid driver would get, but yeah, $3 million and, you know, racing against Alan Prost as well, who back then just sort of took F1 by storm, he was a world champion, and then, you know, to have that title battle with him in 1984, went down to the wire, and then in the end won it by half a point, you know, that half a point that um, separate, uh, that half a point that came at the Monaco Grand Prix that earlier that year, with the race being declared early, so... Yeah, you know, that was, I guess, a snapshot of his racing career, and then obviously 1985, he decides to, to retire altogether, moved away into team management, managing his own airline as well, a lot of business stuff going on for Nicky, and more prominently, though, would be his contributions for Mercedes and the juggernaut that they are at the moment, so... 2013 he came on and he came on board as a non-executive chairman and that sort of 
where they built that core group, you know, with Toto Wolf um, there as well. And then at that time, there was Paddy Lowe in the technical department and so many other peop- key people in that in that um, team coming together, you know, around the time where Ross Braun decided to step away, but also setting up for 2014 when that regulation change came and Mercedes sort of nipped it in the bud early and were the team to beat. They still are the team to beat today. And, you know, Nicky Lauda did have a huge hand in that. And as he did with uh, luring Lewis Hamilton away from McLaren, you know, who would have thought back in 2012 that Lewis Hamilton would leave his McLaren team that he's been with since a child, basically, to go to a team at that time that was unproven um, in Mercedes. You know, at that point, they had only won the one race since they returned to F1 as a fully-fledged works team in 2010. So, you know, and that's paid dividends since, you know, for Drivers' Championships for Lewis on top of that one that he already had with McLaren and then five consecutive Constructors' Championships too. So, you know, whatever Nicky did, I guess he he made an impact. And, you know, for Mercedes, it's going to be a big loss. Well, it's going to be a big loss regardless for everyone in the world of sport. And no matter what anyone says and words, words sort of can't do it justice. And I feel like I've not done really much justice just sort of going over what I've sort of read and watched in documentaries. Like I've never even, I've seen the guy, I've seen him plenty of times at the Australian Grand Prix, never had the chance to meet him. But all the stories you hear is just, it's very heartwarming. And yeah, you know, a genuine world champion and a really, a really, really great guy. So yeah, the the world of motorsport is is a bit lesser, um for the loss so you know to have him have fought this long anyway you know to for him to be here anyway at the up until he up until when he was it's just incredible so yeah you know just hard not to think about Nikki over the next few days and for forever but also yeah the Monaco Grand Prix this weekend I'm sure it's going to be a special one in remembrance for that certain special Austrian speaking of Monaco then so the Monaco Grand Prix the jewel in the crown for F1 um, the sport does arrive of course mourning the loss of Nicky Lauda and of course we're recording this a day early because practice is on the traditionally on the Thursday with Friday being that day of rest there in Monaco not really a day it's sort of like hangover day basically you know everyone goes partying Thursday night there so Mercedes they're the favorites to take it for six from six you know and it's hard not to look beyond Mercedes really at this stage because they've been so strong everywhere there was that after Barcelona there was that analysis that came out where you know sector three um, in Barcelona which is sort of like a stop start sector um and reminiscent of what they're going to see at Monaco high, sort of high downforce and um, low speed corners. And Mercedes were quick in that sector all weekend in Barcelona. So is that an omen for what to expect this time out in Monaco? Um, all we know is that qualifying determines all. <laughs> That's basically how you can describe it because, you know, whoever's gone pole position is 
guaranteed to win the race or 98% chance guaranteed to win it and that's sort of been the trend over the past 20 years or whatever you know it's only the weather that could possibly throw a spanner into the works and there is a bit of weather lurking about this weekend but you know if someone like a Bottas or Hamilton of course stick it on pole then you can't see the wind going to anyone else unless the strategy goes awfully wrong and it's only a one-stop strategy too but having said that that can happen as it happened to Daniel Ricciardo in 2017 you know where you know, he was so gutted at the end of that race because of the losing the win due to strategy, the team fumbling in the pits with the tyres not having him out on time and then having him do the redemption win a year later, um, a famous win for Ricardo back then and it turned out to be the last time he actually won a race up until now. I think it was also the last time he stood on a podium in Formula 1 too, all the way 12 months ago now, it's, it's not good. It's not going to happen this weekend, though, unfortunately. Sorry to all the Aussie fans out there, but, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but, yeah, um, Bottas, actually, I did a bit of research, and Bottas has not actually been on the podium in Monaco before. He's, I think his best results been like a fourth or fifth, you know. He's not really had best of luck at this track so you'd think that given the form he's in at the moment he's had a hat-trick of pole positions three consecutive over the last three races if he makes it a fourth he could very well be a Monaco Grand Prix winner come the end of uh, Sunday so we'll just have to wait and see how that one pans out the interesting thing to look at as well is to see whether Red Bull are really ahead of Ferrari and given the results in Barcelona it was the case, you know, Ferrari 4th and 5th again, Red Bull with Max Verstappen finished 3rd, and, you know, you could even argue that Red Bull could be in the mix for the win if anything happens to Mercedes. If Verstappen comes out and sets a stonker of a lap in qualifying, and that's another thing, Verstappen's never had a pole position in his career as well, so to come out and get a pole in in Monaco would be quite special, and Red Bull have been always pretty quick in Monaco regardless, you know, they don't have to rely on their power unit as much and we saw this last year but given the advantage that Mercedes have at the moment it could be a bit difficult but you know throw a Smokey into there and you know Verstappen Red Bull victory could be quite special and you know for Honda as well first win back in the sport um, since 2015 would be quite something too so but for Ferrari I guess Regardless, they've got to step up and do something too. So there's going to be home race pressure for Charles Leclerc as well, given that he's with a top team now. And the fact that Ferrari still haven't won a race yet in 2019, you know, the title hopes are sort of fading, given that Mercedes have made it five from five. And I've probably talked a lot, well, I mean, not... Eh. Everyone's probably talked so much about Ferrari anyway and how they've got to turn it around. I'm almost at the stage where I can't even be bothered wasting my breath on them. It just seems to be the same thing every year. Don't get me started now about my, my views on Ferrari. Personally, I'm not a big fan, but given the fact that they were the only team that was sort of in a position to challenge Mercedes for the championship, it's like, all right, well, get behind them and see what they do, but they've just... they've have just yeah not not really turned up so 
get out the Mercedes flags and let's wave them. And, um, you know, you've got to appreciate what Mercedes are doing. They're, they're a top team, you know. I, I You know, last week I compared them to Golden State Warriors in basketball, you know, and Warriors have just gone 4-zip in the Western Finals to progress to yet another final series, you know. Um, poor Portland, uh, I feel really sorry for them, <laughs> the Trailblazers. But before this turns into a basketball discussion, yeah, Mercedes, clearly one of the greatest teams, world sporting teams in the world at the moment. So, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, though, Monaco, you can talk so much about how it is a race of attrition, there is always chaos and whatnot. And given the fact that Bar- sorry, not Bahrain, Baku this year was so tame, I'm almost worried that it's, Monaco is going to be the same thing. It's going to be another tame affair. But we've got to see some safety cars. Someone's going to try something, and there's always going to be a lot of attrition. So that could potentially see some surprise results in the midfield and you know guys who can score more points than normal would be quite something um you always look back to 2014 and Jules Bianchi scoring those crucial points for Mata Marussia back then you know the first points for the team but also it's what um essentially saved them heading into the next season to be on the grid um, as far as getting that prize money. So, you know, could Williams potentially score a, uh, score a surprise result? Well, actually, Williams have traditionally never been very good in the last few years around Monaco. And, you know, going back to Bottas's record here, you know, when he was with the Williams, I think he didn't, f- you know, I don't think he had a point scoring finish with them. So I'm actually going to check that right now. Um, but yeah, I when I did have a little bit of a gander yesterday, I saw that there was no point scoring finish for him um, in Monaco while he was with Williams, and I am correct. So we've got um, 12th in 2013, a retirement in 14, and then 14th and 12th again in 15 and 16, and you know, when you look at those races in the hybrid era, Williams were a podium force, you know, and, you know, you look at these subsequent results in Canada, he was always on the podium, so, yeah, it was really a real bogey circuit for, for Williams in the last few years, so that being said, you know, you can, can't expect them to do much with the car that they have at the moment um, at this year's race, so... Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. But, you know, guys like Haas, who have missed out on points in the last few races, apart from Barcelona, since they've had those upgrades. Racing Point, who, you know, they said something like that their fully new car will not debut for another few races. So they will get it out this year, but, you know, it's still taking time. They could really score some good points as well. McLaren... McLaren are going to have to get some results on the, well, get more points on the board because you never know when Renault decide to turn their luck around and start um, getting those top five, top six finishes that we all predicted that they would. So, you know, they're all in the mix. But again, you know, with the rookies in the field as well, they're going to have to behave themselves. Um it's, yeah, Monaco, it's always going to throw something up into the into the mix, and um, it's always one of those great races, so fingers crossed, I really don't care if Mercedes win this one, 
I just hope it's not as dull as Baku, and I think everyone else will hope for that too. But yeah, you know, if anyone else can get into the mix for for the win, that'll be quite. Um, that'll probably excite everyone too. So as you will already know, and I've probably harped on about it enough during the month of May, um, there's not only one Jewel in the Crown race on this weekend, there is indeed another, and that is the um, another leg of the Motorsport Triple Crown, so Monaco Grand Prix, 24-hour Le Mans, and the Indy 500, and it's at last Indy 500 weekend as far as the actual race is concerned and um, we had qualifying last weekend which um, really threw up a lot of surprises and um, I guess there's none more so surprising than Fernando Alonso not actually qualifying for the Indy 500 so speaking of the triple crown and all unfortunately it's not going to be this year but I'm not watching the Indy 500 for Fernando Alonso, and I'm sure there's going to be many people out there who are not going to either, but we'll talk about Alonso in a minute, but pretty good to see Penske on pole, you know, they're chasing an 18th win, I think, Team Penske um, at the Indy 500, and it's Simon Paginel on the pole, and all three of the regular cars are actually inside the top, the top nine, or they contested the fast nine, qualifying segment so they actually have a fourth car as well team Penske for the Indy 500 and I think Elio Castroneves is in that car but yeah your regular trio of Penske drivers Paginel, Will Power and um, Joseph Newgarden all inside the top nine Will Power sitting ninth of course for the race um, and some other key results sorry not ninth he wasn't ninth. I'm thinking it's like six or something. Alexander Rossi's ninth, so that's a bit. Ew. Anyway, stuff that one up. But yeah, Alexander Rossi's ninth. Will Power somewhere there in the top nine. Last year's um, Indy 500 winner. I still can't get over his celebrations last year. It was so. I mean, if you play back their radio messages, it just ah, typical. It, it was great though. I, I want to watch it again after I'm done recording this. Um, respect me! <laughs> and I'm sure he did get a lot of respect for winning his maiden Indy 500. But yeah, Takuma Sato, the race winner 2017, he starts 14th. Scott Dixon down in 18th, the reigning series champion. Impressed, and I'm sure a lot of people would have been impressed with Marcus Ericsson in his first Indy 500 attempt as well, qualifying 13th. So, you know... Not all about Alonso, I guess. In Marcus Ericsson will be getting some love too, being the XF1 driver on the grid. Um, James Hinchcliffe, for the second year in a row, ended up being relegated to bump day to have to qualify. There's six drivers who who are in the bottom bottom six have to do a another qualifying to get into the last row of the grid, and Hinchcliffe last year unfortunately didn't. Um, partake, so he was a little, well, he didn't partake in the Indy 500, so he was bumped, but this time he squeezed in into P32, 32nd on the grid, and that's where our three drivers who did get bumped were the race winner from the Circuit of the Americas, Pat O'Ward, Max Chilton, and Fernando Alonso, so 
Let's do it. Let's dive right in and talk about McLaren and Fernando Alonso. And as conceded by Zach Brown, who who knows, will he actually fly to Monaco this weekend instead or stay and watch the Indy 500? He basically conceded that comical letter, uh, not comical letters, comical errors led to this um, bump and to be not on the grid to just just yeah didn't qualify um they had a pretty tumultuous week you've got to say there was you know they lost a lot of running in practice with a crash and then they've not had the perfect setup either so by the time they got to qualifying over the weekend they were very unprepared um but yeah you know to have it described as comical errors and given the fact that there was a lot of hype and attention around this as well the fact that Alonso's chasing the triple crown he's doing it for McLaren you know there was so much pressure on them to do this and it's almost in a way not surprising that this is the result so we've already seen heads roll as a result of this so Bob Fernley who after leaving Force India last year became chief of the IndyCar program for McLaren for the Indy 500 this year less than 48 hours after Alonso being bumped he departed it was announced so you know there's that question out there that's been doing the rounds and is that and that's whether did McLaren really take this seriously did they just think that they could rock up to the biggest race one of the biggest races in the world, the biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, and just walk it, you know, and you kind of have to say that, yeah, it almost appears like that on the surface with the way they've gone about it, you know, like they linked up, of course, with Carlin this year, who are a team that haven't really achieved much in IndyCar, they're very new Chevrolet engines um, as well, given the last time they actually partnered with Andretti and just put a livery on one of the existing Andretti cars, who, you know, fast cars normally. Um, So it almost seems like a half-baked effort this time. And the question I've got to ask is whether, whether, you know, McLaren want to, McLaren are serious about this, do they have to commit to IndyCar full-time to to actually have success at the Indy 500? The answer is probably yes, but then second leg of that, second leg to that is whether Alonso will now stay with McLaren, you know, given that they pretty much did this for him. They put this all together, Zach Brown put this together for Alonso, basically, to try and keep him within the McLaren organisation. Does Alonso now cut ties with McLaren altogether? Some people say yes, he should. Well, he hasn't really been, he hasn't really achieved much with them since 2015 when he returned to the team, or even altogether his time with McLaren when you look back to 2007 as well. Um, but if he is really serious about winning uh, Indy 500, it's not going to happen like this again. So does he abandon McLaren and, you know, it's probably better for McLaren not to focus on IndyCar at this stage but Alonso does he go and search for a top drive in IndyCar next year do it full-time um does he rely on a, a wild card again you know with Andretti or does he go to Penske or something like that I know with Andretti it's a bit hairy given that Alonso is not really the most popular figure with Honda globally so it's probably the only way to do this, I mean, he's still got plenty of 
plenty of opportunities to complete this triple crown but it just yeah you know it would have been a fairy tale if it was pulled off this year but given the way that it was all done yeah it's not surprising that this is the end result very disappointing though because i'm sure that a lot of people including myself would have been rooting for alonso if he was in the race to to potentially complete that triple crown with the win at the brickyard but at the same time like and this is pretty good with alonso as well where the question was asked do they do mclaren decide to buy out an existing entry on the grid that's qualified and alonso you know with his racer heart just says no because it means someone who has earned their place on the grid this year misses out on the race so i mean i don't worry i don't want to be fernando alonso at the moment just thinking about what could have been but yeah waiting another year to to go and contest this race as well is going to be pretty painful pretty painful so yeah not much more to add on that but still it's going to be a great race the indy 500 is always a spectacle and with so many big names on that grid you know that have won it that haven't won it uh all the teams there penske andretti chip ganassi they're just all they're all big names big forces within um world motorsport you know a lot of people probably just think of them as being american entities or whatever but no they've all got big presence uh, big presences in global motorsports so you know we'll have to see what the outcome is but yeah I'll, I'll have my own drivers to to root for as i normally do probably be alexander rossi or you know the penske guys as well will power would love to see another will power win go back to back so we'll see what happens but yeah and for anyone out there who is not going to tune into the indy 500 because alonso is not there pretty bad mistake you know you can make it such a great race to watch and i really and it's not i'm not really helped by the fact that it's not broadcast anymore live here on on foxtel and whatnot but if i could have a way of watching the indycar season i would probably it's you know i've had my interest in it sort of grown over the last few years and you know forza motorsport which is the uh the savior of all things racing cars and me actually has increased my interest in it and they did patch them in as i said you know the 2019 spec cars into that game so yeah you know um the interest is there and i'm sure that um after the monaco grand prix i think it starts i think an hour after or less than an hour after i'll be tuned in and this is what happens when you record late as well you start to yawn and it's been a long day but we're getting to the end there we're getting to the end and it's a it's a great it's an important podcast you could say this week so let's do hit the globe now let's see what's happening around the world and um some good news actually some really heartwarming news and that's billy munger who as we all know lost both his legs in a f3 crash or formula 4 crash um in the uk a couple of years ago and the whole motorsport world really came to a standstill and rallied behind this young driver and um he's back racing and he won his first single seater event at the power grand prix over the weekend and what a story that is because 
you know, having lost both his legs, again, another story of, you know, you could easily give up in the wake of hardship, but this guy's, you know, this guy at his age has said, no, I'm going to keep going and potentially keep the dream alive, and he very much is, and he's won a race, a single-seater race as well, even with all the modifications having been made to his car to be able to race with, you know, without the use of his legs below his knees, so it's, yeah, such a heartwarming story, that one, you know, and I'm sure he'll go on to achieve great things if he continues in there, and, you know, again, like Nicky Lauda, just, just don't give up, that's the thing, and the next thing that I'm going to talk about as well is almost has that sort of comeback story or story of bravery and this you know it's not it's bravery doesn't have to be in narrative in fiction and in fairy tales and that it it exists you know and you have to you don't have to look further than whether it's sport or the person next to you stuff like that you know it can be all around you and it's very inspiring and you know not to the point where I'm gonna get all my eyes are going to start to glisten and stuff like that, no, um, but it just, it's inspiring stuff to, to make you feel like if you're ever in a position where you're kind of vulnerable or you're not doing so great, that you don't give up, you can do it sort of thing, and, you know, if you can, if Nicky Lauda can pretty much be dead and buried and have the last rites read to him and then come back and lose a Formula One World Championship by one point, I'm sure we can all get up as well and um, find that inspiration to continue doing what it is we're doing. So, yeah, um, this was in NRL, Rugby League, These this bit of news that um, Cooper Cronk will be retiring at the end of the year from Rugby League altogether. You know, he hung up his test and origin boots um couple of years ago when he announced that he was leaving the Melbourne Storm but after that he went on to play for Sydney Roosters he's in the second year of his contract so quickly go going over Cooper's achievements two Dalian medals which is the best and fairest award in rugby league in Australia multi premiership winner you know test and origin winner world cup winner um, origin for Queensland test for Australia he will finish second of all time as most games played. So he's actually passed Darren Lockyer this weekend. He will pass Darren Lockyer this weekend with that total of 356 games. Cooper would have played 357. Of course, Cameron Smith on the cusp of 400 games. So Cooper's not going to quite reach that. And... It was almost tear-jerking during his press conference when he said that, uh, when he was going over his career and then talking about Cameron Smith and Billy Slater, um, his two teammates at the Melbourne Storm, that, you know, to those guys who will go down to be future immortals, Cooper, he described himself as, and I quote, the best third wheel in the game. And I guess... And it does bring a tear to your eye almost when he says that because it severely discredits his his own, you know, legacy, his own accolades and his own performances because 
because I'm sure he's more than a third wheel. Yes, he's not in that. Um, yes, he's not in that capacity to be an immortal, you know, like your your Cameron Smiths, Billy Slater, and and Jonathan Thurston as well. If you're going to look at Queensland in the Origin arena, but he's going to be a Hall of Flame, Hall of Fame player, you know, and one of the best halfbacks that ever played the game. Um, you know, multi premiership winner as well. You know, he's achieved something quite unique. Last year with the Sydney Roosters, where in 2017 he won the Premiership with the Storm, and then 2018 he went back to back winning for for the Roosters. And you know his the heroic feat that I was talking about, the feat of bravery, um, was the fact that he played through that game with a broken collarbone. You know it was sort of 50-50 as to whether he should have played that game, but he wasn't going to not play it. He pretty much spent the whole game running as far away from contact as possible, you know, almost like a second coach on field, you know, directing the team as to what they should do, where they should go. And, you know, Luke Keery took a lot of inspiration off that for his performance in that position that Cooper normally fills. So, you know, to have played with a broken collarbone and actually no one knew that up until after the game where it was actually revealed it's it's a pretty it's a pretty monumental thing to have done that and a total selfless a total selfless thing as well because his team needed him and he still went out there in all that pain to to deliver for his team not for himself so i mean we're all going to remember that selfless act you know but in the end it's for the whole team and you know that premiership for the Sydney Roosters 2018 will have Cooper Cronk written in that team list you know that he was there and he guided them to to that win so yeah you know sad to see that you know I guess the last part of that mighty Queensland Maroons era you know we had Greg Inglis of course a couple of months ago announced that he's hanging up the boots last year was Billy Slater Jonathan Thurston they both retired and then you know I guess Cameron Smith is all that's left at the moment Uh, he's not playing Origin he's still playing for the Melbourne Storm but perhaps you know this time next year he might be making his own announcement for for retirement whether or maybe at the end of this year he decides to to do that so yeah who knows but I guess we just got to celebrate that we can admire them and you know what we don't have to get all glossy-eyed over over things like that. You know, I understand people who don't look to this sort of thing or to s- sports people for inspiration, but they're just like, a lot of them, the ones who are very humble, and you can pick them apart easily, the ones who are humble and who the ones who are up themselves. You know, they're just everyday people at the end of the day who do these extraordinary things and, you know, even though we might not be able to get onto that same level, we can be inspirational and brave in our own ways, you know, where it's just, it's all about the people around you that appreciate it, and at the end of the day, if you have that support, if people around you see it and acknowledge it and appreciate what you do for them, then that's all you need, that's all the satisfaction, you know, it's probably 
for a, for an average person, it'll be as good as Nicky Lauda winning a championship or winning three world championships in F1 or Cooper Cronk winning however many Origin series he did or all the premierships that he's won in his career. You know, that's it's what you can liken to it, and that's the way I I feel about it, the way I see it. Of course, not everyone's going to agree with it, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's what we do. We agree to disagree, and we're all whether we get along or we don't. It's just, I guess, the fascinating thing about um, about human nature. So yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that anyway. Um, quickly too, as well, given that it's the twenty second of May, you know, remembering today also, Nikki Hayden who passed away two years ago to the day um, having that cycling accident of course the 2006 MotoGP world champion so still very much within our thoughts I'm sure so yeah you know it's uh, the tale of two Nickies unfortunately the last few days and um, yeah gonna be Nicky Lauda first and foremost um, very much in everyone's thoughts at this stage but yeah thanks for tuning in anyway this week supercars on this weekend Monaco Grand Prix Indy 500 there's going to be plenty to wrap up and digest for you this time next week but until then I hope everyone enjoys the rest of their weeks have a lovely weekend and enjoy all the racing ciao